Welcome to Fosbury Flop, a podcast for the crazy ones who are not fond of rules. A podcast about the geniuses who change the world. What is essential is invisible to the Excel sheet. How do we improve what we can't measure? San Exupery said, It is only with the herd that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Since we share the car in my family, it's normal that every time I get in, I have to readjust the seat and mirrors because they are adapted to the measurements of my father, my mother or my brother. It must have happened to you too. If you don't have a car, you've probably had to adjust your bike seat, desk chair or any other invention. So now, imagine that the next time you go to sit in the car or in the invention you have chosen, you find measurements that are not yours, but that you cannot adjust either. This is what made the US Air Force pilots could not keep control of their planes in late 1940. At its worst point, 17 pilots crashed in a single day. It wasn't problem of engineers, mechanics or piloting styles but about our devotion for numbers. The cockpits were designed according to the average measurements of the male pilots of 1926. They wondered if the measurements of the pilots had changed much and was the main cause of the insecurity. They hired the anthropologist Gilbert Daniels to carry out a similar process. The same guy that with his thesis came to the conclusion that if you want to design something for a human being, the average is completely useless. He quickly forgot it and went to design airplane cabins without ever having set foot in one, measuring the bodies of male pilots, obtaining the average and creating the cabin useful for everyone. Taking the average, he could calculate the perfect cabin, he thought. The reality was that none of the 4,063 pilots he measured fit within the average range on all 10 body dimensions measured. Pilots were doing life or death moves in an environment that played against them. Mark Twain said, There are three kinds of lies. Lies, damning lies, and statistics. Airplane cockpits were the bed of Procustes of 20th century. Procrustes, which meant the stretcher, was the cruel owner of a small estate and had a peculiar sense of hospitality. He abducted travelers, provided them with a generous dinner, then invited them to spend the night in a rather special bed. He wanted the bed to fit the traveler to perfection. Those who were too tall had their legs chopped off. Those who were too short were stretched. Procrustes like many coaches, doctors, changed the wrong variable, the person rather the bed. As if a tailor boasted of making the best suits in the world, altering the limbs of their customers. Like the medication, we give school children to make them adjust to the curriculum, rather than the reverse. Unless you are in a hurry for the inheritance, don't leave your grandparents on a vacation for two weeks at an average 21 degrees Celsius resort. Half at minus 18, and the other at 60, won't sweep them too much. This is what we do with many scientific studies. We take many players or patients, 
we apply a program. We take the average and we forget that the results talk about the characteristics of the population, but say little about each person. For three weeks, we do Nordic hamstrings. All players, the population, on average improve by 10%. But it tells us little about the dynamic process experienced by the player and the team. Two players have gotten 10% worse. Two have stayed the same. One has improved 30% and the last one 50%. There was no such a thing as an average pilot. There wasn't an average cockpit. The average is the Santa Claus of adults. It doesn't exist. It is an artificial idea of normality. The average, the ideal, is just a widespread myth that creates the illusion of knowledge. We have to fit the system to the individual, not the opposite. The car, the bike, the desk seat or the cabin at the service of the pilot, not the opposite. The technique has to fit the player, not the average created from what most or successful players do. The Barcelona Highway, to give an example, collapses when more than 95,000 cars are driving, to say a random amount. Between 7 and 9 in the morning, around 100,000 vehicles circulate there on average. If you leave your home around 7, when 80,000 cars circulate, you won't encounter any traffic jams. But from 8 o'clock, with 120,000 cars on the asphalt, you will have a problem. The numbers provide us with a small static picture of a large process that varies over time, that is dynamic, and often much more complex. At the other extreme of dynamism, there is staticity. This is statistics, the mathematics of static values in a world of complex, so dynamic, systems. If we want to be a little more specific, we could also say nonlinear. If you multiply 10 times the number of cars on the Barcelona highway, you don't preserve the same properties than before the increase. There is a transformation. Therefore, hypotheses and predictable laws are impossible in a world of living and changing phenomena. People and complex phenomena are not predictable and mechanical entities. We don't know which characteristics matter more than others. We don't know if each factor contributes equally in each person or how it is combined. We coaches control the stimuli, but not the adaptation to them. Just as adding a car to a freeway can cause effects that no previous car had caused, adding a lane to the freeway, as Alexandria knows well, can cause the opposite of what was intended. The Cathy Freeway of Houston is the widest freeway in the world. It has 26 lanes. You would think that, because it's so wide, there isn't as much congestion as other less huge highways. But it was the second worst bottleneck in the country in 2004. More lanes, more drivers that might not have used the highway before, and much more congestion. When we perturbate a complex system, such as our players, or the traffic of a city, with a task, a physical load, a strength exercise, a lane addition, we don't know how they will respond as we know with physical objects as happened to Newton with the apple and the gravity. Even though we have never had more data than we have now to improve performance and health, yet have less predictability than ever. There exist no laws that exactly predict the outcomes of interventions. What we have are many associations and predictions that don't describe causations. We lose the individuality. 
One characteristic, independent, not always can describe a second one, dependent. Married people are not happier. They are happy. That's why they get married. More data, such as paying attention to the eye colors of the people around when crossing the street, can make you miss the big truck that can kill you. What's more, the fact that a correlation exists does not mean that causations must also exist, a third cause fallacy. The correlation between ice cream sales and heat strokes is high, but there is no causation. The cause of both is the hot weather. The levels of CO2 in the atmosphere and the levels of obesity are increasing considerably. Which causes which? Won't it be the fucking capitalist system and the wealthy country's lifestyle? Andrew Long said, he uses statistics as a drunken man use lampposts for support rather than illumination. We all fall into the trap, however. We all love how the numbers that make our lives so much easier. We look at the simplistic statistic, the average in cockpits, and we settle. But it's not our fault. We have evolved from contests in which not a single calorie was free. To survive, every calorie counted, and spending one had to be justified. That's why we tend to rest, to not spend more energy than necessary to satisfy a task. If I think that a number represents a whole group, why should I make an effort to study each individual separately? Why spend so much time and energy analyzing, studying differences if I can stick with just one number? Because the context has changed, and our beliefs need an update. Our amygdala and its hatred of uncertainty also play against us. Between static metrics or subjective parameters that are not easily quantified, it does not hesitate to choose the former. John Huston finally said, Maturity is the capacity to endure uncertainty. We cling to numbers and certainties, even if they are wrong, to put the amygdala to sleep, live a little more calmly, and unconsciously be a little bit more monkeys. We assume that measurability reflects importance. We create the myth what gets measured gets managed. We start looking at the clock to take into account the heat rate, but it doesn't tell us anything about psycho-emotional factors or the state of confidence. Julio Cortázar wondered, Pablo Vázquez explains, if when somebody gives you a watch, you weren't the one given, since you begin to develop some dependencies on it. We open the laptop to look at the graphs of the accelerations and decelerations, but nowhere are the different styles of play between the sight and the wing quantified. Looking at the screen, paraphrasing Kike la Casa, we forget about the game. We end up paying attention to what we can measure instead of what matters. As humans, we might be scared about what will happen in the future. Uncertainty is an inevitable part of living, and nothing, a specific behavior, test, or task will overcome it. If we are not conscious about it, this fear might destroy our ability to make rational decisions. In front of the fear of what is going to happen, we prefer to take the drug, also called medicine, expecting a desired result, even it might be counterproductive, than wait dealing with uncertainty. For our body, in some cases, it might be better, but not for our monkey mind. We might end up exhausting our team because in order to be fit, we need five sets of a specific exercise. If we do four sets, the work is useless. 
we may end up without considering the exhausted phase of our players, because in order to develop the aerobic pathway and arrive well to the race, we need to run 15 minutes, not anything less. It does not matter what the player feels, because what is truly important are the graphs of the Excel. Just kidding, it's the opposite. The numbers help us if, first, we are sensitive to all the unquantifiable information that the player provides us. How do we deal with uncertainties? Don't try to create false certainties, as doctors do. Decide what is important and what is not in the context of your team or player. The same meters run in the weekend way, recorded by the Wimu State of Art device, can feel like a marathon or like a 100 meter race if the match was lost or won. A win or loss completely alters the context. The sensations are completely different, and therefore so must be the training. Albert Einstein said, not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. If it can be measured, can we improve it? What do we do with everything subjective that we can't quantify? If we just stick with numbers, we risk ending up playing Russian roulette or believing that New Zealand has become the most dangerous country in the world. They interviewed 100 people who had played Russian roulette. The conclusion was that Russian roulette was a safe game. In New Zealand, they had an increase in murder rates of 251%. They had got from killing 0, 74 people a year to 2,60. The more cherries you pick, the more you will be able to choose the best ones. Take as many people, variables as possible, collect a lot of data. It would be impossible not to find in it a high correlation of some kind and choose the one you prefer, cherry picking. You will obtain a correlation, which does not mean causation and false positive also called errors in the result. Then you can draw the conclusion you prefer. Ivan Isar said, statistics, the only science that enables different experts using the same figures to draw different conclusions. Like, for example, that masks are useless, that sauna only provides benefits if you use it 9 to 12 times a month at a more than 100 degrees Celsius. If you were using it 7 or 15 times a month at 90 degrees Celsius, you will become a crazy person. You will be able to choose your diet anti-cancer too, because every food in your fridge has been listed by isolated studies to both cause and prevent cancer. So if you love bacon, it has only negative effects for cancer, according to data, but it hasn't been quantified if it's also bad for your mental health. Actually, data is not reality and transforming it into insight is hard. If the decisions are biased, which is human, the reason will be too. The researcher can select the experiment that fits better what he was looking for in order to stay relevant and successful within the academic community and help make the status quo a little bit stronger. Hans Rosling said, the world cannot be understood without numbers, but the world cannot be understood with numbers alone. In order to deal with uncertainties and make rational decisions, we cannot stay with just one number. A single number doesn't allow us to focus on individuality. Like when we design cockpits, we can only understand our team focusing on the subjective information with the help of all the objective ones.
creating a cockpit or a car seat that allow us to adapt as much as we need. And please contradict me, but do it, don't do it with the Moneyball example if you don't mention what Isaiah Thomas did to New York Knicks on 2003. He wrote to the Knicks the players with the highest combined scoring average. They lost 66% of their games. John Keely said, We make our best decisions when we are uncomfortably aware of the novelty inherent in every complex situation. How do we measure the sensations, the impenetrable psychomotional considerations such as levels of truth, the quality of player interactions, the coordinative fluctuations of the team? The best three-point shooter in basketball in a context where the numbers square up but that doesn't give him confidence, that doesn't generate shooting opportunities, he might no longer be. No Excel or big data model will quantify the trust the players place in the coach nor the quality of your communication with the team. No artificial intelligence will predict the state of your team after a specific physical intervention, nor will it quantify the loyalty of your technical staff, nor your honesty in the, in the management style. You won't find any algorithm that summarizes the team's alignment to a single number, if you are united by the same goals, if all the players and coaches have the same interest, they row in the same direction. John Tag said, An approximate answer to the right problem is worth a good deal more than an exact answer to an approximate problem. Accept the uncertainty of all interactions in the training process, the ones that can see and the ones we cannot. Develop our endless awareness, such as quality of attention, depth of understanding, and the endless perceptions of the utility and value of the subjective monitoring process. There is no better tool to detect burnout, stress, overtraining, or the risk of injury. The coach as a prescriber and the player as executor generates dependence. Instead, we can encourage self-sufficiency, self-consciousness, and autonomy to be aware of everything that the heart rate monitor doesn't tell us or the coach doesn't see. Manuel Jona tells us that we must pay attention to the garment we all have inside. Educate your players so they are aware of it. Paco Seirulo explains that a lot of coaches get anxious if an exercise is missing too serious, but nothing happens. The player might have a bit more of muscular power, but the coach might lose the confidence of the team. They will make all the series the coach wanted, and the price has been their trust in him. No formula or algorithm tells you this so you have to look up and see your players. We have to satisfy the goal that the player feels prepared for the efforts of the competition, not to have the spreadsheet values where we, as coaches, feel more confident. Sometimes the strongest and most wonderful things are those we cannot see. Go to fosburyflop.blog in order to check the notes of the episode and much more related posts.